Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina istafa amma ba'd fa'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim bismillahir rahmanir rahim walladhina jahadu fina lanahdiyannahum subulana subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursalin walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم our deen is such that it creates many opportunities for us because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala desires to reward us to the maximum extent possible. Every place you look in the life of a Muslim, you're going to find an opportunity for them to be able to earn Allah's reward and to seek His forgiveness. You can almost look at it this way. Everything is in favor of the one who wants to turn to Allah. Meaning there's no one second in the day in which a person can't leverage an opportunity and attain a great reward. You don't have to wait uh, you know, for some big event in order to be able to earn a big reward. Literally, a person could be brushing their teeth in the morning and they make the intention to purify their mouth in accordance with the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and they earn a reward. Just a simple thing of brushing teeth in the morning. And that's just one example, but there's so many opportunities to be able to earn reward. And it's really important for a Muslim, and what we were taught by the sunnah, is how to maximize each opportunity. For example, the sunnah teaches us when you get up in the morning, this is the best thing to do. Before you go to bed at night, this is the best thing to do. At this particular circumstance, this is the best thing to do. Now, here in those circumstances or those occasions, what we're learning is not what we have to do, but what's the best thing to do. Meaning, what's the maximum way by which a person can take advantage of the opportunities that Allah has provided for them? Just as a further example, when we come for this gathering... There's lots of opportunities. And I've mentioned maybe previously, but it's worth reiterating, that the number one opportunity that arises from this particular gathering, at least in my mind, is the fact that we get to the masjid for prayers. So, you know, generally the gathering begins with a prayer, and we try to conclude the gathering with a prayer, so that anyone who joins the gathering really the maximum benefit of this gathering is the fact that two prayers are occurring. And we're getting those two prayers in the masjid. Aside from that, there's so many other benefits to the gathering. For example, we know that when a group of people get together to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are angels that stack upon one another. And those angels essentially will report to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that there's a group of people that have gathered in order to remember you 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala testifies before the angels that he's forgiven the entire gathering. So that's another benefit. A bunch of people are getting together for the sake of Allah, to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it creates another opportunity for us. And we should be cognizant of the fact that any time a group of people gathers together for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah desires that that gathering leave much better than when they came. Meaning it's in our favor. In fact, the power of a group of people gathering for that sake is so extreme. It's such an extreme power, such an extreme opportunity, that even if somebody just randomly comes and sits, not because they wanted to join the gathering, but they were just tired. Just imagine we had a gathering and people just you know, came and sat down because they were tired, not because they wanted to do the dhikr of Allah or remember Allah or even sit in the masjid for that matter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala testifies that he forgives that person as well. Just because they gathered, they sat in the gathering of the people of forgiveness, so that benefit comes upon that person as well. So the opportunities are many. One of the other opportunities, which is what we're going to talk about today, one of the other opportunities of this gathering may not necessarily seem like a big one, but it's the fact that we all get to hear the adhan before the Isha Salah. Now, it's not that big of a deal if you're used to being in a Muslim country at any point in your life, or if you've spent time in a Muslim country, you know that the adhan is called consistently, and you can hear it from all corners of wherever you might be living. But in this society, we don't, we don't have that opportunity. We've lost that opportunity. And in order to be able to hear the adhan for the prayer, for the, for, let's, you know, for the particular prayer, you have to come to the masjid, let's say, 15 minutes early, 10 minutes early, sometimes 20 minutes early, depending on when the adhan is called. And most people, most members of the community, don't have the ability to come 20 minutes before the prayer to be able to hear the adhan. So people come for the prayer. First of all, it's not so common for people to come for the prayer. It's a difficulty, and people make their effort, but it's difficult. But how many people actually say, I come for the adhan? I don't come for the prayer, I come to hear the adhan. It's not very common. But when we sit here, one of the, at least in my mind, one of the benefits that I think about in this gathering is that when we sit here, we come from Maghrib. Alhamdulillah, if you happen to come just even a couple of minutes before Maghrib, you're going to catch the adhan. Maghrib is that unique salah where you actually will catch the adhan. So that's a nice opportunity. And secondarily, when we sit through Isha, as you're aware, we always end the gathering right at the adhan of Isha, which basically means that all of us, if we're sitting here, everybody in this room is going to gain the opportunity to be able to hear the adhan for Isha. Now you might say to me, well, what's the big deal? Why is it important to hear the adhan for Isha? So let me just highlight a couple things. Number one, the adhan is a really big blessing upon the community. Whenever you want to recognize an opportunity, you have to start by appreciating where the opportunity came from so that it's valued. Why is the adhan a big blessing on the community? Because it's a unique, um, it, it's a unique circumstance through which it was legislated. What I mean by that is that when Sahaba were in Mecca, radiallahu anhum, when they were in Mecca, there was no need for an adhan because they were practicing their deen in a very private way. As you know, they were being oppressed. They didn't have the opportunity to be able to out loud call the adhan and call people to prayer. They were hidden in the way in which they were practicing their deen. 
Eventually, of course, the Sahaba, they made hijrah from Mecca to Medina. And when they went to Medina, one of the very first things to happen was that the masjid was established. And of course, soon after the masjid was established, then the need for, or maybe even before that, roughly at the time of hijrah, the need for the adhan arose. Essentially, what happened was the need for a call to prayer arose. So companions recognized that this was a need. Obviously, they saw that this was an issue. Prophet was discussing it with them. And they began to think about different ways by which they would... I'm just paraphrasing all of this just to make it succinct. But they began to think about ways they could call people to prayer. So some thought that perhaps they could use a horn. And the idea for a horn came from the Jews in Medina. They were using a horn to call people at their time of prayer. So they thought this might be a way. Another idea came, why don't we light a fire? If we light a fire, smoke will rise. If smoke rises, then people will see the smoke and they'll know that it's time to call the prayer. Anyway, they weren't able to particularly conclude upon any one way until eventually what happened was one of the companions happened to have a dream. In the dream, he there's, there's detail. Again, I don't want to go into detail, but let's just say here, in the dream, he was taught the words of the Adhan. So when he was taught the words of the Adhan, he came back and he presented them to Rasulullah And after he presented them to Rasulullah then Rasulullah appreciated it and assigned Bilal radiallahu anhu to call the Adhan. And that was the first Adhan that was called. Now interestingly, Imam Ghazali, he says that it wasn't one companion who had this dream. Now all of us know that perhaps we know the story of one companion and we know that Umar radiallahu anhu at the same time came and acknowledged that he also had the dream. So maybe that's two. But Imam Ghazali, what he says is that actually ten, at least ten, at least ten companions had the same dream. Ten total, at least ten total. Some scholars actually say more than ten. But at least ten total had the dream. Now what's unique about that is that, think about it for a minute, it, what it shows you is that the Sahaba themselves became essential in the legislation of the deen. It's one thing for the Qur'an to be revealed, which contains things, for example, the Qur'an teaches us how to make wudu. It's another thing for us to learn salah from the Prophet ﷺ when he says, pray as you've seen me pray. But here what's happening is sahaba are actually receiving a type of um, inspiration. It's not revelation, but it's a type of inspiration. They're presenting it to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ is stamping his approval on it. That makes it revelation, and then it's being presented to the community. And it becomes part and parcel of what we do every day. The whole Muslim world unifies on the adhan. You hear the adhan everywhere. The whole Muslim world is unified on this adhan. So it's a great blessing. Because number one, it's a call to prayer. and reminds all of us of the importance of prayer. But number two, it shows the status of the sahaba. In that they became so essential to the deen that this adhan was actually legislated through them. Of course, approved by the Prophet ﷺ, but legislated through them. Now, the adhan along the way, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned many, many benefits for the adhan. There's numerous benefits in hadith, all authenticated hadith, which mention benefits of the adhan. And I don't want to go through all of them, but just to highlight a few. For example, the Prophet ﷺ said that if you recognized the benefits of the adhan, of the benefits of calling the adhan, you would draw lots between yourselves to call it. So imagine there's something so valuable and there's only it's a limited resource because only one person can call it. So you would be drawing lots between yourselves 
to allocate who would call the adhan. Now, interestingly, in that narration, the Prophet also mentions the same for praying in the front row, by the way, just as an aside. So this is, for example, one of the benefits of calling the adhan. But even taking it a step further, the Prophet mentioned, for example, and again, I'm paraphrasing, the Prophet said, O oh Allah, forgive the caller. O oh Allah, forgive the one who calls the adhan. So you get the dua of the Prophet the person who's calling the adhan. Similarly, the Prophet said that on the day of resurrection, the, the people who call the adhan will be the ones with the long necks. Long necks here, what this implies is that they'll be honored in a special way. They'll be, they'll be prominent. They'll be prominent in a special way. Similarly, uh, the Prophet mentioned uh, that anybody who, call, who hears the call of the caller, anybody who hears the call of the caller will, uh, will, uh, will testify to that person on the day of judgment. And that any creature who hears the caller will actually also uh, seek forgiveness for that person. All right? So many, many, many benefits. You can keep listing them. Many benefits. Now, interestingly, a man came to the Prophet on one occasion, and he said that the callers have been given preference over us. The callers... By what callers do we mean? The adhan. The callers of the adhan have been giving preference over us. Now, remember that at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the people who called the adhan were very specified, right? Uh, you know, Bilal radiallahu anh called the adhan, etc. So it wasn't just everybody calling the adhan. There were a handful of people that called the adhan, for the most part. So this person, this man, the hadith just mentions a man. So the man came to the Prophet ﷺ, and said that the callers have been given precedence over us, meaning they've been given an opportunity that we haven't been given. So the Prophet them said to him, when the callers call, when the callers call, repeat what they have said, and after they are done, ask Allah and he will give. When the callers call, Repeat what they have said, and when they are done, ask Allah and he will give. So essentially, what do we learn from this? We learn from this that the adhan is not a, is not a uh, experience of an individual. The adhan is the experience of the whole community. Meaning, when the adhan is called, we're supposed to hear the adhan, but we're also supposed to recite to ourselves each line of the adhan. And you'll see, for example, if you go to, uh, when you spend, if you happen to get a chance to spend time in Mecca or, Muka, or, or uh, Medina, in the big masjid, where you have lots of people and people are actually sitting for the adhan, you'll hear that as soon as the adhan is called, the person calling the adhan will pause every two lines, and you'll hear a murmur from the crowd. And the reason you hear that murmur from the crowd is because everybody is reciting to themselves exactly the words that the Mu'adhin is reciting. So this, for us, is an opportunity. Because, by the way, in, in, in another narration, the Prophet outright says, repeat after the Mu'adhin. And in a third narration, the, the Prophet says that the one who repeats after the Mu'adhin with full conviction will I think, if I recall correctly, get Jannah. I have to check that. But anyway, it's a very high reward. Whether it's Jannah or their sins forgiven, I'm just confusing the two narrations at this point. Okay? So the point here is that explicitly, explicitly, 
the Prophet ﷺ reminded the community to repeat the lines of the Adhan. So this is an opportunity for all of us. All of us should be very particular. We're going to be sitting here, and you know we're not far, and 20, let's say 30 minutes, 35 minutes away, from the Adhan that's going to be called. But when that Adhan is called, we should all be waiting for that Adhan. We're, it's, it's, it's one of the opportunities. Of course, we're waiting for the prayer. That's the ultimate opportunity. But there will also be this opportunity to hear the Adhan. And while we're listening to the Adhan, we shouldn't only listen to the Adhan. We should be focused on repeating those lines of the Adhan. When we repeat the lines of the Adhan, we're supposed to recite exactly what the Mu'adhan says. So, for example, the Mu'adhan says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Then we recite back to ourselves, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah ashhadu an la ilaha illallah ashhadu anna muhammadar rasulullah ashhadu anna muhammadar rasulullah The only exception is when the muaddin says hayya lis-salah or hayya 'alal-falah hayya lis-salah or hayya 'alal-falah In that case instead of repeating the line we're actually supposed to say la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. There is no power and there is no strength except with Allah. And subhanAllah, even if you think about the repeating of the lines, it's so deep. Because what happens is, think you start at the beginning, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, you recite Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. You recite the Muaddin eventually gets to Ashhadu wa la ilaha illallah, you recite Ashhadu wa la ilaha illallah. The Muaddin gets to the point where they say Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. You repeat back, Ashhadu anna Muhammadur Rasulullah. Now look at all these lines so far. All of these lines have relegated the matter back to Allah, right? Allah is the greatest. I testify that there is only one deity, Allah. And I testify that Muhammad, Sallallahu is the messenger of Allah. Everything has been relegated to Allah. Now what happens? The line comes, Hayya ala salah, or Hayya ala al-falah, which basically means it's telling us, you come. Hayya means to come. Come to the salah. Come to the falah. By the way, the falah means the ultimate success, the success after which there's no failure. So come to the salah, come to the falah. Now here, we're being commanded to do something, right? So we don't repeat back, we relegate it back to Allah. So we don't say, I'm coming, I'm coming. We say, there is no power except with Allah. There is no strength except with Allah. SubhanAllah. So when it comes to what we're supposed to do, right, which is this opportunity to be able to come to success, this opportunity to be able to come to prayer, we take the matter, we relegate it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We say we don't have any power except all power is with Allah, all strength is with Allah, meaning I don't have the ability to come. If I come, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's uh, tawfiq and his, his guidance, etc. The power all came from him. We don't take any credit. We don't take any credit. So subhanAllah, there's so much depth in this opportunity. Now one last point that I'll make since we're on the topic and it's relevant, it's very important to also know one important ruling, which is, again, clear-cut statement from Hadith, in which the Prophet ﷺ said, if one of you hears the call, you should not leave the masjid until the prayer is prayed. If any of you hears the call, it's not appropriate to leave the masjid until the prayer is prayed. Because essentially that call is a call for someone to come. So why would you, at the time of being present when that call is made, then turn around and leave? And the fuqaha, I mean, this is an outright statement in hadith, but the fuqaha, they comment here that the only exception would be that if a person is in the masjid and they have to go to another masjid to pray, because, for example, 
let's say that uh, they're the imam in another masjid. They come to this gathering, we pray Isha so early, and they're praying Isha at 8 o'clock, let's say, for example. And so they make a decision that, uh, okay, I heard the call to prayer, but I'm answering it at another place, so I'm going to pray there and you know go move move on. So that would be the exception. But otherwise, as a general rule, we when, once we hear the call to prayer, we shouldn't leave the masjid. It's not appropriate to leave the masjid and turn away from the call of prayer, right? Because we're actually in the masjid, and it's not that much of a challenge because you know that here for Isha prayer in particular, we call the adhan and then we pray the prayer five minutes later. So literally, there's a five-minute gap, and then we pray the prayer, and everyone is able to go. So again, the reason we do all of that, the reason everything is so tight, and the reason these prayers are, you know, people sometimes ask us, why are you guys praying a shot at 6 o'clock? Like people, a few weeks ago, there was a scholar that came and was visiting the masjid and said, you guys really pray a shot at 6 o'clock? Is that possible? Like, yeah, yeah, time comes in. But really, the benefit, as I've mentioned before, is that everybody's already in the masjid. Lots of people, not everybody. Lots of people are already in the masjid, so the opportunity, we, 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 shouldn't be, um, we shouldn't be lost on the opportunity to be able to uh, pray Isha together. By the way, it's the same reason why people sometimes ask me, uh, yesterday we had tafsir, and we don't record the tafsir, we don't broadcast the tafsir. I personally am uncom- uncomfortable because I myself am learning, so I'm a little uncomfortable broadcasting it. But uh, you know, the real reason that I do it is because people get two prayers in the masjid. I know that when people come for a tafsir, they're all going to pray Maghrib, they're all going to pray Isha, so I don't need to do much more. They already got the benefit that they need to get. It happens to just attract people to the masjid, and that's, that's my personal intention with the tafsir. But anyway, the point remains, the reason why that uh, we keep the prayer time so tight on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, is because that's when our programming tends to be, and it gives everybody an opportunity to be able to catch two prayers in the masjid. We, 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 we center our programming around the prayers. So among the many opportunities, as I mentioned, alhamdulillah, we have the opportunity to sit here, to take a few minutes, to remember the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to recite some of the adhkar, or to make salawat on the Prophet and them. It's very important, but we should never lose sight of the fact that there are many, many opportunities that are always present in our deen. Of course, the two prayers is a great opportunity, but also the adhan is a very good opportunity. So um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are consistent in repeating the words of the adhan, May he make us amongst those who receive the same reward as the callers who recite the adhan. And may he make us amongst those who are never amongst those who turn away from the adhan.